In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here at the Great Lakes Brewing Co. in the Cleveland airports. And I'm here with Ian Right, Right, Right. Ian, how are you, sir? You know, it is Monday. I am doing well. I do not let the Browns' performance yesterday bring me down. The season of optimism is still there, and uh, we move forward to week two, right, buddy? Yeah, that's correct. And, mate, before we get full into this, I just, we're going to talk about the uh, game in a second. But if anyone can listen to this, go to my Twitter. I was in the movie lot yesterday, and I witnessed a guy fall off a roof. He had an epileptic fit, and now his family are looking for some support financially. There's a go... Um, Go fun link in my Twitter. Do what you can to help the family out. And yeah, go Browns, show the community and uh, do what you can. But anyway, Ian, let's talk about the game. Just to add to that, I saw a lot of people were assuming that that was inebriation. And I actually read his son put out there, he had an epileptic seizure uh, while up there. So kind of the mockery and the jokes around the alcohol uh, is a little unwarranted. You know, this is a guy with a medical condition having fun and uh, injured himself. So definitely support that cause. Uh, you know, that's unfortunate that that happened like that. Yeah. But let's, let's talk about the game. I've got to say, yesterday, from the start, Cleveland was absolutely buzzing. I was out at midnight. I saw the humongous queue wrapped around the new lot. I then saw 7 o'clock in the morning, people queuing up. And I spoke to some people in the new lot. They were queuing up at four o'clock in the morning and they didn't get into the mini lot till just after eight o'clock. So it just shows of how much of a buzz the city had for the game at the start of the game. It, it is amazing. You know, I could feel that out. I was actually driving from Chicago to uh, my, you know, my fiance lives uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. Her family's from there. And we were driving through Cleveland and back and you could just see the excitement, the buzz. Every rest stop had Browns jerseys. So, the, the city was definitely a buzz. There's no doubt about that. Before the game, the, the town was electric, or the city was electric, and I, uh, we went. Everyone got to the stadium early. Worried about the uh, getting in the tickets. I didn't see the fireworks or hear the fireworks. So I don't know if my tailgate was too noisy or too loud, but I just didn't see <laughs> the fireworks. So Browns, I want my money back for that. But anyway, um, the the ticket thing, I got in eventually. It did take a bit of time, but I saw kickoff. And, yeah, the stadium was – I've never seen the stadium 100% full. And yesterday it was 100% full at the start. And it, it, was, it, was, it was awesome. It's amazing. And, and I know you got to experience a little bit the day before down there at Ohio Stadium. Uh, you know, I had attended games there regularly. And last year when I was at the Browns-Jets Thursday night game, that's the only time that I've been in a Browns stadium where the excitement, the energy – uh, was as loud as what I used to get at the Ohio State game. So I fully – you could hear it on the TV in the first quarter how that team was just raring to go. So, you know, Browns fans come out when they – you know, when they're called upon. And I, I really encourage them to not let this week one performance, you know, deter them from that because 
that stadium needs to become an advantage. And, you know, you come all the way over from across the pond. I mean, the excitement's there. Let's continue it up. You know, let's, let's, let's eliminate the negativity. You know, we've been on that boat too long. So let's bring that same energy for the next home game. Yeah, and not just uh, in Cleveland, obviously, Chicago, Toronto, London, all had huge numbers. And all the backers, I, I haven't looked and spoken to all my friends and all the other Browns backers, but it sounds like, yes, they had record number supporters. So as, as we say, it's a world team and all states team. And Browns are just uh, absolutely, uh, from a fan's point, before the game started, absolutely going crazy. So, in a positive absolutely. way. But let, let's, let's break it down. Um, the, the game itself, from my side, it, it felt like flags, penalties, very stop-start, slow, very frustrating. But, Ian, tell us a little bit of what you experienced and seen on the TV. So, it was, it was just that. And the issue that the Browns ran into, and I think anybody that's played a sport, whether it's baseball, basketball, soccer, slash English football, when you cannot get into a rhythm, it really is just it, – it's tough to get that going. You know, a lot of times when you're watching an English Premier League game and there's constant fouls and there's yellow cards, the team never gets into a rhythm. That's exactly what happened to the Browns yesterday. You know, week one kind of always does some crazy things. Last year, the Saints lose to the Bucks, 14-point favorites. You know, let's be honest, the Steelers last night against the Patriots. The, the Patriots are not a 30-point better team than the Steelers. It's just one of those things where they couldn't get their rhythm going, self-inflicted with penalties. You know, I know everybody in Cleveland thinks that there's some giant conspiracy theory where the, the officials are against the Browns. But when you go back and look at it, and I've only been able to watch the, uh, the replay once. I'm going to watch it again tonight because I have a sickness. A lot of them were self-inflicted. There's, you know, a couple questionable here and there. But overall, the officials did not decide the outcome of the game. The team did. And the team prohibited itself from really got, from getting going. Let's talk about the first drive, the first touchdown. It looked really good. Chubb and Higgins, OBJ and Juku all linked up really well and moved the ball very nicely. Well, it was a beautiful drive. And the ironic part is, is we talk about, you know, oh, we have all these, all these weapons. Are we going to be able to get them the ball? First drive, come out, target to Jarvis, target to Higgins, target to Beckham. I mean, on the seven pass plays, we had three targets to Beckham, three to Higgins, and one to Jarvis. Even with the questionable blindside block penalty on Greg Robinson, you know, we hit the big play to Higgins down the seam, and we scored a touchdown. So you really saw the capabilities of what that offense going is going to look like. You know, a lot of times I think Odell said it's like a Ferrari. Well, that offense is exactly that. When that offense is humming and that's in tune, that's how they can operate. You know, the ball gets spread out. Chubb is the complement. Boom. Right down the field. I think it was second and 23 when we hit the big play to Higgins. So we're able to overcome that. It almost seemed like we were relying too much on the ability to overcome those second and 20s, first and 25s, third and 18s. You know, after that drive, you know, we had the touchdown drive there in the third quarter. Of I think there was seven drives where we had some form of a 10 or a 15-yard penalty. Two of them resulted in touchdowns, and five of them were drive killers. So two out of the seven were successful. And when you go back and look at it, that's a pretty big difference in the game. After that, it, it all seems kind of like fall, fall apart, that first drive. There was flashes in the second quarter where we, like we got things going again. We also came into the halftime as being uh, 
four points down if I'm correct. And then everything after that just seemed absolutely awful. Well, the key, in my opinion, in watching it, you know, the biggest play of the game and really what changed it, because you're right, that first quarter was pretty sluggish after that touchdown. You know, immediately we get the a great special teams play uh, for our, from our special teams on the ensuing kickoff. Then we get the roughing the passer penalty, and we have them backed up in their, you know, inside their own 10-yard line. Now they're all of a sudden out to, I think, you know, the 30-odd-yard line, 47-yard bomb. So, again, that penalty pushed them out of danger. Can you imagine how electric that stadium would be if they started inside the 10, we had to stop and force them to punt and got the ball right back? You know, we extended that first drive by committing the roughing the passer penalty giving up the 47-yard pass where Randall turned the wrong way, you know, and that led to them countering us with a field goal. So we gave them points when we could have really quick made that 13-0, you know, even scoring again, making it 9-0. Really coming out in the first quarter and setting the tone, and we weren't able to do that because the, se the second two possessions that uh, the Tennessee had, the first two of the game, they got a roughing the passer penalty and then a special team penalty that moved the ball from the 11-yard line all the way out to the 25. So instead of pinning them back and letting that defense really get to work, we shot ourselves in the leg, really helping them advance the field through, through nothing that they were doing. I mean, Mariota, Henry, they were a pretty stagnant offense in that first quarter, even in the first half. Right before halftime, this is to me what changed the game. We're driving. Baker gets the ball. 56 seconds left. We're backed up on our own 13. Bang, bang, bang. Plays, plays, plays. Moving right down the field. The offensive pass interference call that was called on Beckham, I get it. It's questionable whether it was offensive PI or not. But that right there turned it into from us getting points because Beckham had that ball at the 22-yard line. So you're in field goal range. And instead, we get no points. So we had the ability at that point there. It was 12 to 6. You know, even a field goal, you know, we had had about 20 or 30 seconds left. We'd have had some shots at the end zone. But that play right there was the turning point because we weren't able to secure the momentum going into halftime. And one of the things the Patriots always like to do is have that halftime momentum because it carries over to the third quarter. With us, boom, they come out in the third quarter. First play is a big play to A.J. Brown, 51 yards. Boom, they score a field goal. What's 12-6 is now 15-6. It's a two-possession uh, game. We get the ball. This is our chance to counter. Get a first, you know, we get the drive going. We get inside Tennessee territory. Boom. Holding penalty. Boom. Now we're chasing the downs, and now we punt it away. And it's just that was the theme of the day. The, you know, getting behind the sticks and not letting that offense get going again. Constantly we're shooting ourselves in the foot with stupid actual penalties. So this whole thing about the refs, not true. These are legitimate penalties. I've got to say, the Scottish Hammer punted what I saw in the stadium very well. Is that fair what you saw on TV? So the first one, obviously, he got the old benefit of the role, which as a former punter, I will take that every day. But I think the, either the second or third punt he had, he hammered one with incredible hang time. So you can definitely see the talent that guy has. Now, on, this, on the extra point, there was a little bit of a timing on the hold. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. The snap hold kick just looked a little off to me. So I'm going to go ahead and take a look at that and see what I can find out. I don't know if that's on him, but from a punting standpoint, I thought he looked really good and was able to shake off that uh, the first one where he got about 12 or 15 yards in roll. How do you feel about Cybert missing that first field goal? 
again, it's kind of like a golf swing. You know, Cyber, he's got the leg. You know, the second one that he had was right down the pipe. I thought that that exchange was a lot cleaner. I don't think we're going to have a problem. Rookie kicker, I think actually I missed my first kick of my uh, football career. It happens. I don't really – we kind of expected that, but ultimately the game should have never came down to that. They had so many opportunities to put points on the board and just couldn't get out of their own way. Big talk last night online and on the TVs over in America was the O-line. They had a lot of problems last night or yesterday. It was, and, you know, I thought one of the things that really cracked me up was after the game, I don't remember the reporter who it was that asked Freddie, oh, if you would have known that two of your O-linemen were going to go down, would you have, you know – made an act of two more. I think he just looked at him like, are you kidding me? Like, of course, if I had, you know, x-ray vision or, you know, telepathic powers, I wouldn't have done that. But after Kendall Lamb got hurt on that safety, the Browns were down to five healthy O-linemen. So if one of those guys would have gotten hurt, we're talking about a tight end or a D-lineman or somebody that would have had to come in there and done their best. So, you know, Dorsey's got his work cut out for him on that one, finding some depth. depth. But ultimately, James Campen is a tactician. I mean, he is one of the best O-linemen, uh, O-line coaches in the entire NFL. I didn't hear anything about the right guard. I just think you can scheme around an offensive line. When you have somebody like Baker, we saw what his arm can do. You know, quick decisions, get the ball out. We saw what New England did last night to neutralize uh, Pittsburgh's front seven. I don't see that as being a giant uh, issue moving forward. I don't see this guy falling in that sense. One of the key things I noticed as a fan in the stadium was I looked around in the middle of the fourth quarter and 90% of the fans had left. Now, yeah. I spoke to some fans last night and their view is, Paul, we've been to 200 games. You know, we paid to go and see our team. We've got every right to leave if we're not going to win the game. And then I think to myself, well, look, we should be trying to support as the 12th man and try and do everything we can for our team. What's your view on it, Ian? I will say, fans, when you buy the ticket, you have the right to do anything you want to do, except obviously violate the rights of other people in the stadium, you know, vulgarity and stuff. I personally have never left a game early. I've never left a blowout early. And this goes to all sports. Indians games, Cavs games. People that are with me that look at me and go, you want to leave? And I'm like, no. I sit until there's all four zeros on that clock. That's just me. I understand the frustration. I think the reactions after the game, I was listening to, you know, uh, Phelps and Foxy on the, uh, the post game, and I just thought some of the reactions were ridiculous. And I get it. We're starved for a winning team. I get it. But it – some of the some of the responses, you know, the fire Freddie Kitchens and the team quit. I didn't I didn't see any of that. You know, we all know in sports, in a fourth quarter, games get away. I mean, Baker went I think three of nine for twenty one yards, three interceptions, two sacks in the fourth quarter. This wasn't some utter domination from the start. I mean, if you looked at the Baltimore Miami game, it was twenty one nothing. I think by the end of the first quarter. This is a game that got out of hand late. It happens. I, de I didn't see the team quit. I saw a team that was like, hey, we don't want to get hurt. You know, we have to preserve. They played it conservative. I didn't really see the issues there. But if fans want to leave and try to beat traffic, have at it. I personally wouldn't do it. I don't even see it. Wait.
You paid for the tickets there. She on the team, you know. But I think you and I both know, Paul, negativity triggers responses. Colin Cowherd does it. You know, all these media guys write these articles. Everything is negative because they want fan reaction. And I think that's kind of what that plays. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. I know that um, Baker Mayfield had a slight injury to his wrist. I'm sure he's going to be fine for the Jets. But, uh, yeah, let, let's hope. Uh, Ian, I'm, my flight's about to board in three, four minutes. Anything you want to finish up on? Yes. Yeah, just on finally. I mean, this, I think, is the perfect opportunity for the team to show their resiliency. You know, this is an opportunity for the team to come together. Um, you know, I don't know if many people know down in Columbus, but Urban Meyer uh, consults a guy named Tim Kite for a lot of uh, leadership type of things. And one of the things that he said recently was, adversity is a test of your toughness, not your talent. And I think this is adversity in its finest. You know, Baker has the leadership abilities to overcome this. You know, the failure that he experienced is going to give them the feedback that they need. You have the right guys in the helm. Baker knows what he's doing. Freddie earned the respect of the locker room. I think this time next week on Monday night, the Browns are going to go out and show us a completely different performance because once that offense gets humming, they're going to put up some points as we saw. I mean, they flipped the switch in that second half, drove down, boom, 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 overcame another 15-yard penalty and scored a touchdown. They have the capabilities. They just have to play the odds. They got to play smart. You can't have, you know, Greg Robinson kicking people. You know, that's frustration. But they need to come together as a team. You know, the resiliency of the team, I think, is there. They have the right leaders in place. Their heart's in the right place. I think we're going to be looking at a much better outcome on Monday. And I encourage fans, don't fall for that clickbait negative article stuff. That's what they want. They want to have you tearing at the fibers, questioning Freddie Kitchens. Did he have mistakes? Of course. Some of the play calls, questionable. Why you you know, why are you dropping back inside your own two-yard line? But he's going to learn, just like everybody else is going to learn. Give him a chance. You know, don't, it's not the same old Browns. This is a talented team. They're going to overcome it. I have no doubt about it. Well, thank you, Ian. Mate, we need to get the win next week. Otherwise, mate, I think we're going to do it, mate. I think we've got lots of talent on this team. Small, Loads. stupid penalties. Giving away 18 penalties in a game. You can't win a game like that. So, uh, yeah. Agree. And, you know, people that are looking at the score, just remember, you know, that game was a different game going into that second and uh, third quarter. So. Let's, let's pump the brakes on the score and, you know, let's chalk it up for what it is, move on to week two, and uh, let's go back to one-on-one. Our one-on-one is this record. Uh, and, and where can people find your details? I'm jumping on the plane as we talk. Hey, Ian19 on Twitter. Uh, Paul, you have a safe flight. You know, when you get back to London, definitely let us know. Thank you so much for coming over and giving all the Browns fans, you know, something unique to experience. So hopefully enjoy your time and uh, we'll touch base soon, my friend. Go, go in. Thanks a lot, buddy. Go Browns, Cleveland. Thanks for the love. Stay